Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Okay, so it's going to be a little bit different for me today. It's probably going to be brief, but it's, I brought up an actual copy of scripture. And again, I know the digital ones. It's like a million different versions. I use it every day. Typically, I have an iPad up here. Uh, it's honestly a little bit scary to not have an iPad up here. Uh, I have a couple pieces of paper. But what we're going to talk about today is so powerful, I just wanted to read it out of a, a copy of the Word. And uh, we've spent the last two weeks, you've heard two great messages from the book of John. Uh, you've heard about grace, and you've heard about truth. And today we're going to talk about love. And you know that when you partner grace and truth, you get love. And, and honestly, I feel like I got the best one uh, because we're, we're constantly thinking about love. And we're constantly wondering, how do I, how do I love this person better? How do I love this? Uh, this what, do I, what is love? What do, I, don't, I almost wanted to have the whole what is love SNL skit. Uh, I, I, I didn't run that by anybody because I thought it'd be, I should have just done it. I have the access to, anyway. We're going to be in John chapter 3 today. And we're going to look at a passage of scriptures and a couple other passages of scriptures that illustrates how much God loves us. But before we do that, I, I want to go over some things that I love. Some of the things that I've loved throughout my life. And as I do that, I'd like for you to think about some of the things that you've loved through your life as well. So let me start. When I was young, I, when I was a baby and I have a picture, there was this little green thing that I loved. And I think it was a frog, but it didn't look anything like a frog. It had a little frog face. And I used to put it on my head, and my parents would take pictures. I remember that frog. But at some point, you get past that little toy, and you grow up. And for me, I loved He-Man. Right? He-Man, or Skeletor. I envied how ripped that guy was. I tried all my life to be like him. didn't work. But I loved He-Man. I had all the action figures. I had all of the, the toys and the t and I just, I loved it. I played with them all the time. As a teenager, I loved sports. Right? I spent all my time thinking about sports and girls. Sports. And, and that got me pretty far, right? Like my love for sports and my dedication to it got me pretty far. It got me college money, got me the ability to to, to get jobs later in life. I love sports. When I got out of college, my wife got pregnant, and, and this picture took place. I think it's there. There it is. So that's a 23-year-old Seth and a four-minute-old page. Okay? I didn't know this picture was being taken. But in this moment... What was captured here, something in me changed. The way that I loved things changed. And I think for all of us, we have that moment where love changes. 
where it shifts, where our perspective on what love is and what we can get from love shifts to what we can do for someone to show them our love. And in that picture, all I remember is how is it that just four minutes ago this wasn't here and now I love this thing so much there's nothing on earth that I wouldn't do for it. If you have kids, you know that feeling. You know that there, there was a moment when you didn't have kids and you thought you knew what love was. And then you had kids, you stared at it and you went, oh no, I love way different now. And today, we're going to look at how God delivered love to us in the form of a baby. But the baby, it's cool, and it's cute, and it's something to celebrate, but that was never God's intention. The baby was, was, it was powerful, it was fulfillment of Scripture, but it was for a greater purpose, so that God could show us just how much he loved us. See, love is for people. It's not about position. As Jesse was talking about, what we're going to look at today is how we often use love to get to different places. And we put our position, whether we are above other people or whether we're lower than other people, as the the way that we measure love. And as we're going to see in this story, we're going to come across a person who's a lot like a lot of us. He had used the scriptures in a way to position himself above other people so that they would love him and respect him. And he walked into a meeting with a guy that was love. So we're going to look at that in John chapter 3. So if you would, open your Bible to John chapter 3. We're going to go through the first 17 verses. And I'm just going to read it to you, and I'm going to point out a few things that help to understand and move this story along. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. So let's stop there. Let's. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a, is a religious leader, someone who had put in the work, the schooling, the time to be somebody. And in this day, they had set themselves up to be the somebodies, right? They were the way to get to God. And when you met them, you were in the the presence of power, the presence of someone important. Nicodemus was one of the chief Pharisees, one of the highest ranked Pharisees. And if you know the scriptures, you know that, that Jesus had some epic run-ins with Pharisees in the Gospels. There are many times where they try to trap him, they try to trick him, and he spends it on them and makes them feel about this big. And no doubt Nicodemus was part of that crowd many times. And I can imagine there was something in Nicodemus that was pulling at him. 
pulling at him to say, there's something different here than what you've always known. And so he, spent, he goes at night with the secrecy of dark to find out what this guy's story is. And so he starts because, again, he's a smart guy. I really, I relate to Nicodemus a lot because he's very logical. He's very, he's very to the point, but he, he kind of knows how to, to schmooze his way into a conversation and not be too abrupt. Okay, so he says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So he's like, hey, you're pretty cool. You've been doing a lot of things. Seen him, noticed it. God's obviously with you. You know, he's trying to buddy up to him. <laughs> but Jesus, who's God? He knows his heart. He hits him with the left right off the bat. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, if I was there and I had this plan, right? That I'm going to go in. I'm going to talk nice to him. I'm going to get him on my side. And I'm going to get him to say, yeah, but this whole thing. And Jesus just goes, hey, listen. So you need to be born again if you want to get to the kingdom of heaven. And as a literal guy, myself, I can understand what Nicodemus said. What do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? See, to this point, he, he knows the scripture. He, he understands the logical and literal ways of things, the law. And so to be told something like that is, he's off his game. And he's, he, does, he says something so silly as to, how can a man go back into his mother's womb? Have you ever said something and then taken a step back and went, oh, that was dumb? I imagine at that moment, he's kind of like, why did I say that? So Jesus replies, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. So... Nicodemus is listening to this, and I think his eyes are probably glazing over, because he's, he's logical, he's literate, he knows the law, and this guy keeps talking to him about being born again. And then, if that wasn't enough, he says, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born with born of the Spirit. Nicodemus at this point is, how are these things possible? Jesus is laying down the truth of who he is, but in a way that, it, that is so foreign to Nicodemus, he, he's bumbling and stumbling around in this conversation. He says, I don't understand. What are you talking about? Jesus keeps going, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we will tell, we'll, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. 
But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm that guy. I'm God. I'm the one that the law is teaching you about. I'm the one that the scriptures have talked about forever and ever. In fact, it goes on right here. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. No doubt Nicodemus knew this story in Numbers. It wasn't in Numbers then, but it was in the scriptures. We know it in Numbers where Moses lifted up a bronze snake and everybody that looked at it was saved from the bites of the snakes that were in this area. And if you didn't look upon it, then you were going to die. Nicodemus knows his story and he's like, why would he bring that up? And then he says, so the son of man must be lifted up. I think Nicodemus is starting to put together the pieces here. That wasn't just some random occurrence. You're saying that you're the son of man. How are you going to be lifted up? And what does that mean? Jesus continues. The most famous verse probably in the Bible. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save it through him. He so loved the world that he sent his son. I started by talking to you about the way that I felt when Paige was born and how it changed the way that I loved her. The reality is, I had very little to do with Paige turning into that cute little baby. God work together every fiber and every cell so that she would come out so wonderful and perfect. And the way that I loved her, my small involvement in making this wonderful child and the amount of love that I had for her, I can only imagine how much God loves us. And yet, he shows us right here That God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. He was willing to send his one son to die. That's what matters at Christmas. You see, Nicodemus, he was only concerned with what the law could give him and what the scriptures could do for him to elevate him above others. But Jesus was the opposite. If If you go with me to Philippians... Philippians chapter 2, very quickly, it says this, because Jesus, listen, he's got a different attitude, he's got a different mindset, he's got a different outlook on what love is, so much different than our outlook, so much different than, this isn't new information either, you know this stuff. Anytime you deal with people, you know how you should be, and yet, we're different. We act different. But Jesus said, and Paul teaches us here, because just like Jesus was, we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We're in verse 6. 
Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He was willing to do this. This was his attitude. He didn't need to. He was God. He could have come down. He could have been born in this wonderful, majestic palace that he created out of dust. And he could have come down and just said, I'm taking over and I'm going to show you the right way. Follow me. But that's not what we That's not what the plan was. That's not what Jesus' attitude was. Because it's not, love's not about how, how high you're willing to put yourself, but how low are you willing to go, to humble yourself, to show love to others. See, the Pharisees, they loved the law more than the people. And they cared only about themselves. But God cared so much that he sent his one and only son. That's what we have to understand. And listen, just like I hope that today this this sets your heart back to where you know it needed to be, this changed Nicodemus. And what I love about John, see, John walked with Jesus. He got to walk hand in hand with Jesus. He got to listen to the words of Jesus. He... He positions Nicodemus in this story to show a changed life, right? Because at the end of the passage there in John 3.17, Jesus finishes with a few other words and then it just moves on. Nicodemus left standing there. And a lot of people wonder, what happened? Did Nicodemus repent and start following Jesus? No. In fact, it was sometime later that we see in John chapter 7... When the Pharisees are plotting to arrest Jesus, in verse uh, 45, the Pharisees are planning to arrest Jesus and they sent guards to get him. And as the guards go to get him, he begins to teach them. And as he teaches them, they turn their hearts towards him. And they, they come back to the Pharisees empty-handed, knowing full well they're probably going to be fired, if not worse. And they look at the Pharisees and they tell them, We've never heard anybody talk like this before. There is something different about this man. How could, why would we even arrest him? And the Pharisees start mocking the guards and talking about how, how could you believe such foolishness? How could you be so easy-minded and so simple? And then Nicodemus, in verse 50, he chimes in. He stands up. I believe at this point, Nicodemus has been wrestling with what the truth of what Jesus told him versus what he'd known all his life. And I believe at this moment he is willing to finally stand up and say, hold on. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked. This was contrary to what they wanted to do. All they wanted to do was to shut him up get rid of him and put him away so that they could get back to living the way that they 
had positioned themselves to live. And Nicodemus, I believe at this moment, takes his stand across the aisle and says, I'm no longer doing that. I'm standing up for what I know is right. And I'm going to begin to show love for people and no longer just myself. And then a few chapters later in John chapter 19, so the death of Jesus has occurred. He has been, he has been put up on that cross. He has died. And now the matter of what to do with his body has come up. And Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. And they take it down and they begin to carry it to the tomb. And it looks in verse 39 in John chapter 19. It says, with him came Nicodemus. The man who had come to Jesus at night, he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Now listen, there's two things here. He's carrying 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. I don't know how many of you guys have carried like a bag of concrete before. That's not easy. Not easy at all. But more significantly is that he brought these things to show what, how he believed and what he believed about Jesus. You see, understand, 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe was not just for some regular person, definitely not an indigent who had died on a cross, a criminal's death. It wasn't even for royal, or it wasn't even for just rich people. It was for only royalty. Only the king and queen would have that type of embalmment, that type of prep, body preparation before being put in the tomb. Nicodemus had made his choice to follow Jesus as his king. Forsaking all that he knew before. And trusting only in the true son of God. One more passage in Ephesians. See, Nicodemus came to understand what Paul came to understand and what so many of us who have accepted Christ and follow him daily with our whole heart have come to understand that but God, so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is by God's grace that you have been saved. It has nothing to do with how wealthy you are, how important you are, how many people know you, or what you do, it has only to do with Jesus. That is the reason for Christmas. That is why the baby came, and that is really what we celebrate, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what love is. Love is for people, not about position. I've got two things. And then I'm finished. The first one is this. Take the step of faith in Christ. If you thought, I can be good enough, I can be important enough, I can use my position to gain recognition among people, but you've never submitted your life to Christ, then I would submit do that today first. It is the greatest step you'll ever take. It is the most important decision that you'll ever make. 
And when you take that step, as Nicodemus did, that no, regardless of what actually happens in your, in your physical world and in your earthly life, you will be more fulfilled, more satisfied than you've ever been. You're only that way when you humble yourself. Because you will never find satisfaction by trying to be above and look down on people. And we have a great opportunity. This week we have a great opportunity. Because the Christmas season, as Jesse alluded to also, it can be hectic. It can raise all types of emotions. You get different people together. You're going to have that kind of drama. So my second step is this, and this is for everyone. This Christmas, love people. See them as the way God sees them. See them as something worthy of dying for. It'll change your outlook on the things that get dramatic in, in those times when family tensions get tough. Choose to love them despite all of the things that are going on because that is what Jesus did for us. He did it with his life, willingly, as a humble servant. Love people this Christmas. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful. Thankful that you love us. God, help us to understand that nothing we can do is good enough for you to substitute for your son's sacrifice. God, help us to understand that through Christ alone, through his grace, through his salvation, that's the only way that we can truly come to know you. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent him. It's in his name we pray. Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas.